This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. Today is Wednesday, February 15th. I'm Stan Friedman, and this is Franchise Today. Well, big stuff happening this week, as our very first Zor Forum Masterclass kicks off tomorrow, featuring the master of transformation himself, e-myth author Michael E. Gerber. So, franchisor executives, founders, and leaders, as you prep for the IFA convention less than two weeks out, do not miss this one-hour masterclass, The E-Myth Franchisor with Michael E. Gerber. There's a really good chance that this hour could fundamentally change everything you thought you knew about franchising and how to succeed at it. Or it could perhaps validate that you're already charting your course correctly. At the very least, Gerber will fire you up and get your head spinning with his passionate, pointed delivery. To register, simply search LinkedIn for the Zorforum Masterclass or go to Zorforum.com. In either case, your name and email address is all it takes to register. Your complimentary admission comes courtesy of our friends at 919 Marketing and all of us at FRM Solutions. Today, we're going to hear from Craig Sherwood, Senior Vice President of Development for the U.S. at Wingstop. So, is there any doubt in your mind about how much I'm looking forward to this conversation? In fact, let's take a quick break right here, and I'll be right back to tee that conversation up. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. Franchisors of restaurants, bars, and grills, and multi-unit franchisees, listen up. This message is for you. If you're looking to engage guests, elevate profits, and enhance your customer experience, Atmosphere TV is the answer. What's Atmosphere, you ask? Atmosphere is the world's number one streaming TV service for businesses, here to help you make more and save big on overpriced cable packages. Atmosphere provides you with a free programming option, bringing more than 60 ultra-engaging audio-optional channels designed to please customers and increase their average ticket. So, how does it work? Well, it's easy. Upon sign-on, Atmosphere sends you a free device loaded with over 60 channels of eye-grabbing entertainment. From news and sports to viral videos and fuzzy animals, every channel is family-friendly and designed to keep your customers happy and engaged. Plus, thanks to Atmosphere's 100% audio-optional format, the programming is perfect for any setting, no matter how loud or busy. Atmosphere isn't limited to restaurants or bars either. Any business with a TV screen can benefit from better entertainment. So, stop playing and paying overpriced cable. Go with free TV instead. Chiropractors, doctors, dentists, auto shops, anyone with TV in their waiting rooms can jump on this amazing offer. Just go to atmosphere.tv forward slash sign up and use the code FRANCHISE and Atmosphere will waive the usual one-time $99 activation fee for your free-to-stream device. Visit Atmosphere online at atmosphere.tv and remember, use the code FRANCHISE to waive your one-time activation fee. Visit atmosphere.tv to elevate your franchise's entertainment experience today. 
Craig Sherwood is a uniquely qualified attorney, business professional, and former Army officer with extensive senior leadership experience in franchise development and operations, highly effective at building strong relationships and consensus behind initiatives, leading to revenue and unit growth. Craig Sherwood, welcome to Franchise Today. Thanks so much for having me, Stan. Appreciate you being here, and I'm anxious to learn more about your illustrious past. We'll talk about how franchising found you, but first I want to talk about your military career. How long were you in the armed services? So I was an um, Army cadet uh, at, in college in ROTC for three years, and then uh, and then a little over three years on active duty. And when would that have been? Uh, so that was, 19, that was 1988 to 1991, so um, was a... A uh, baby second lieutenant in in West Germany uh, got there in June of '89, and uh, and the wall came down in uh, November of that year. So really interesting time to be in uh, be in the military and see the kind of the end of the Cold War, or maybe it was just phase one of the Cold War, because it seems like we're, we're certainly back there again. Well, but it's never too late to say thank you for your service. And what a great foundation that's probably given you to the career we're going to talk about today, isn't it? It, it, it absolutely is. And thank you. Thank you so much for that. So we hear about it theoretically all the time that veterans should make great franchisees and or franchisors because they're familiar both with following somebody else's game plan and also giving orders. So it's taking orders, it's giving orders. It's, it sounds to me like why athletes make good franchisees too, because it just makes sense that you've got a playbook or you've got a manual that you have to follow. And here we call it the ops manual or the FDD to get into the game. And literally, I think those are very, very transferable skills. So you came right out of the service. Uh, did you do college in the service or was the service your education? No. So I actually earned a, uh, uh, while I was in college, I'd always wanted to serve and and uh, tried uh, ROTC just to see if I enjoyed it. And I did and, and kind of pursued it during my undergraduate. And then when I graduated from college, I was commissioned as a second lieutenant and went to my artillery uh, basic course and then spent a little time at airborne school and ranger school and then and then uh, three years in Germany at uh, like I said, at a very, very interesting time in the world. So it was, uh, it was a great experience. And to your point, military veterans do make great franchisees. Uh, they operate within a system. They're focused on the end user and making sure that guests, whether whatever franchise they might be in, that they're going to take care of people. And uh, that's, that's really what franchising is all about, just taking care of people. So tell us where it all began for you coming out of the service. What came next? And where were you in your life cycle when franchising bumped into you for the first time? Sure. So I was, I when I I left the military, I was recruited by Taco Bell. One of the RVPs, regional vice presidents, was a, a former naval officer and wanted to bring junior military officers into the operations to, um, to kind of lead the next generation for, for Taco Bell. And I, I started in that program and started as a single unit general manager, learning the ins and outs of the restaurant business and doing opens and closes and, uh, you know, dealing with the drive through on a Friday night with, uh, you know, intoxicated <laughs> consumers coming through the, the drive through. So great, great experience to really cut my teeth. And then, uh, Built from there and and uh, became the the market manager and ran uh, our Minneapolis operation for the company and that's when um, and that's when franchising found me. Pepsi owned Taco Bell at the time and decided that they were going to do a major shift and they were about eighty percent company owned, twenty percent franchise and so from nineteen ninety four to the year two thousand completely inverted that model and sold most of the company restaurants to become 80% franchise, 20% company. And so um, 
my market uh, was sold. Uh, and then I went on to lead all of the transition activities in bringing, um, bringing those new franchisees into our system and getting them set up with the stores that they have built. So it was really an interesting business model. And I was always fascinated at it uh, from the very beginning where you're asking a, a franchisee to use their money to build your brand. And, and that always was never lost on me mm-hmm. because I never had the risk tolerance to do it myself. And so I respect people to do that and felt like it's incumbent upon us as the franchisor to do everything that we can to make sure that we, uh, you know, we're partnering with our, our franchisees. We're treating them like partners and they have a seat at the table uh, because they are they are very much uh, a part of the brand and growing the brand and building on its legacy. So it was um, just a really unique uh, unique opportunity for me to get in, having been on the company operation side and then uh, thrust into the the franchising world. And what market were you in when you were doing this work? So I uh, we sold Minneapolis. I lived in Minneapolis, and then uh, I worked for uh, Taco Bell doing all of our transitions nationally. So we were selling restaurants anywhere from packages of five up to uh, 60 company restaurants at a time. So we had, at any given time, we had multiple deals going on around the country. Uh, so I lived on a plane, met with franchisees, helped with the transition after a letter of intent was signed to make sure that we were setting them up to be successful, making sure that both the consumer and the employees felt like it was a seamless experience because you can't just shut the lights off and say, all right, now there's a new owner. They don't care. At the end of the day, a consumer sees uh, your brand name above the door and they don't care if it's franchise or company. They expect a certain level of service. So we needed to make sure that it was uh, as seamless as we possibly Absolutely. could make. So what came next? Where, where to from there? So funny, I actually, uh, Taco Bell wanted me to move out to California uh, in 2000, uh, my wife and I decided we didn't want to do that. So I, I ended up going to law school full time and, uh, it was a, <laughs> a very interesting part of my career. I was, you know, early thirties. Uh, my oldest was, uh, Michael was four. My youngest was six months and, uh, there just wasn't enough hours in the day to do anything right. So I was, you know, it was, I was consistent. I would say I was a bad husband, father, and student, but, um, it was a good, good experience. Uh, got my law degree practiced for a few few minutes and absolutely hated it and uh, realized that um, I was not, this was, I wanted to use that experience and that, that uh, knowledge that I acquired in law school, but I really wanted to get back into the business. And so um, came back to Yum Brands at that point uh, to work for some folks that I had worked for previously and ran uh, a, a large chunk of our non-traditional business for Yum, um, notably on military bases, which was really you know gratifying for me to be able to serve Again, uh, you know, bringing our brand to service men and women around the world uh, with Taco Bell, Pizza, and KFC. So, ran that business uh, for five years, and then um, jumped over uh, to Corner Bakery. Did franchise development for that concept for a while. Uh, landed at Sonic, and then shifted away from restaurants and became the chief development officer for Gold's Gym. And uh, loved loved that brand. Loved uh, it was very much a part of my lifestyle. And so I I really enjoyed working with the franchisees. That was a global position. So working and seeing our brand grow around the world was really, uh, really interesting. Was Adam Zaitsev there on those years? uh, Adam Zaitsev, yeah. I worked for Adam. Adam, it's funny, Adam and I started a week apart in 2016. So he came on as our chief information officer. I was our chief development officer. Uh, Adam left for a little while, came back as our CEO. So then I worked for Adam. 
Uh, yeah, and Adam and I served together up until, um, you know, the bankruptcy uh, of that brand. And then uh, we transitioned to different places. I, I landed at uh, Little Caesars, where I ran U.S. development for them. Uh, and again, you talk about great legacy franchise brands. I think what Mike and Marion Illich did for not just for Little Caesars, but for the city of Detroit uh, and the people of Detroit is just truly an amazing story. And that's probably a <laughs> that's probably a story for a different podcast. But I mean, a lot of respect for them and that brand and then had this odd phone call that came in uh, from a recruiter asking if I'd have interest in Wingstop. And um, having lived and being uh, located in Dallas, I knew a lot about Wingstop, about its history, about its trajectory. And it, uh, it absolutely piqued my interest and uh, had further discussions. And um, you know, a few months later, I was, I was uh, on board. So is Dallas originally your home? Uh, no, I actually grew up in New York City. And then um, I got married and we lived in Minnesota. And so um, ran the Taco Bell business from there. And then when uh, I went back to work for Yum Brands in 2005, uh, that's when we relocated down to Dallas. And we've been, we've been in Dallas ever since. Well, you know, you, your story just exemplifies what I love so much about franchising. I know Adam from my time. I think I was at Frank Connect then. No, I was at FRM Solutions. And I met him when he, I think, was with Smoothie King. Or mm-hmm. That we was were- right after his first, yeah, that was right after his first go around with Gold's Gym before he came back as our CEO. So we were flirting with moving him over to another platform there. And, and I got to know him and just follow him ever since. And then Little Caesars, I got to tell you something about that. What you just said about Little Caesars couldn't be any more true. I feel like those are some of the most deeply ensconced roots into a community. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Descharm, I think is his name. Yeah, yeah. Dan took me on a tour of the Fox Theater and they own that, right? They do. That's correct. Yeah, the the Illiches own that. So Dan took me on a backstage tour of the Fox Theater. I got to stand on the stage that comes rising up with the orchestra, and I got to see things that nobody in a layman's life would ever get a chance to see. There's a room, a dressing room, they called it the green room, at the back of the Fox, and everybody who's ever performed there autographs the walls, the floor, or the ceiling. And so you'll see signatures in there like Sinatra and Dean Martin and Jimmy Durante and people that are long, long gone all the way up to Justin Bieber, and it's just amazing. That is a great, yeah, it's funny you you say that. I've I've gone, every time I I had a chance to go on that tour (laughs) i would go on it because every time you go you see something different it's a fabulous uh venue so craig when you arrived at wingstop what was your first assignment so um came on board to head up our u.s development and and um i think at that point development had been kind of separated a little bit and we were operating it or trying to operate it regionally through through company operations or or through the operations team and i think you know michael skipworth our ceo realized we need to have a a strong consolidated development function. And so uh, I came on board to kind of build that team back together and and put process in place to to get us on a trajectory that we all believe that we can be on, which is to grow this brand to 4,000 plus locations in the United States in the next eight to 10 years. So just met with the team and and understood what our capabilities were and see where there's some opportunities to kind of go faster and, and just make sure the team was being taken care of. Again, I, you know, it goes back to my military days. If you take care of your people, then they'll take care of the mission. And I've always believed that. And um, you, know, you want to make sure, and I know, you know our culture at, at, uh, at Wingstop is very important. Um, and so it, you know, I know a lot of companies talk about culture and how important it is and that people are a part of that. But Wingstop, for me, it was very different. It was very real. And, and I could sense that from the conversations that I had during the interview process. And, and certainly, 
was not disappointed when I got there and uh, interacted with not just the senior team, but, but everyone in the organization. We're all, we all walk the same walk and talk the same talk. And, and there's a, a lot of consistency in what we do. So, so yeah, that was kind of the early days, just getting acclimated. And, and when you work for a publicly traded company, you've got numbers to hit. And I came in right in time for our fourth quarter push. So it became the all-consuming, uh, you know, the all-consuming uh, role of the day is to, is to make sure that we're going to deliver on the commitments that we make. Well, you've got big shoes to fill. I mean, your predecessor is somebody that is well-known and loved by many of us, including yep. yours truly, Madison Job, who's been there for quite some time. And what a great team and culture he built around his team and some of the people like Beveridge that I've known for 100 years that just recently retired herself, I guess. The brand has got such a storied history. And I love Wing Stop, and it fills a niche inside a broader spectrum of wing businesses. So many people think about wings just, you know, as bar food and, and football but it really has evolved. So looking ahead to the next year, three, five, what kind of plan are you on and how much might Wingstop remain the same? How much might it change? How much of it might Rick Ross wind up owning over the next few years? <laughs> you know, I think like any brand, we, we want to play offense, we want to grow strong, and we want to make sure that our brand partners are, are prepared to do that. And so it's important that not only our existing brand partners, who are the vast majority of the growth that we have right now, and it's, it's amazing that they're leaning in and they, they love the brand, they take care of the brand. So we want to do everything that we can to make sure that they're going to continue to be good stewards and, and we give them all the resources that we can to help them grow and grow strong. But then and also look to recruit and onboard new brand partners into our system. Uh, we've recently brought on some, some brand partners up in up in the upstate New York area, uh, you know, Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, Albany. So we're excited to get some uh, traction going on up there. So, you know, that's going to be, uh, you know, our short-term view. I think as we look at the brand, I think innovation is very important for any brand and certainly ours where, you know, we're all about flavor and serving the world flavor. So want to be innovative, not just in our product offering, but also in what the touch points are for our consumer. Uh, and we'll look at new design. Uh, I know we've done some really cool things over in the United Kingdom with our design package, the way we interact with the consumer there. It has almost like more of a nightclub feel. So, you know, that might be something that we look at and, and take some of those elements and best practices from other parts of the world, incorporate into, uh, you know, how we interact with our consumer here. I know that the last time I conversed with Wingstop, it was with Madison, and we talked about the incredible growth of the brand's revenue over the course of COVID. You guys were built for COVID. I mean, there were so many companies or brands that had to make pivots. I don't think you guys needed a pivot, probably a fine-tuning maybe, but not much, because I can think of no brand that would have been more suited for COVID than Wingstop, and the numbers, I think, prove that out. What are some of the things that came out of COVID that are never going to go away and have become part? Part of the footprint on go forward basis. Yeah, well, I think you know, I think for starters, our, our digital, uh, you know, our digital presence. Uh, we're you know we're north of sixty percent now. Our goal is to get to one hundred percent. So, I think we saw that flourish during uh, during the COVID time period, and and that was great for us to get a boost and and to continue to drive that part of the business. I think our dine-in business has changed quite a bit for COVID. Our traffic is still very, very strong, but we're seeing more people take their food home, uh, either through delivery or they pick up. So that, I think, opens up the door for us to explore 
whether we need such large square foot restaurants and we can scale back a little bit on the number of tables that we offer, still providing an opportunity for people to dine in, but realizing that the vast majority of the business that we do is, is takeaway, again, driven largely by what had happened during COVID. So I think those are really the, the big lessons that we learned. And so we're pivoting in terms of our, our design and how we, how we design our box now uh, to be able to capture a better unit level economics with a smaller square footage. So I know that when the price of wings went through the roof, you guys got pretty creative and introduced thighs as a menu item. How did that pan out? You know, it gave us a, a different product that we could, uh, we could explore. And I think it, it went well. I think the other things that we've done during that period where, you know, inflation was was pretty high was to lean into uh, the value playbook, bringing on bundle meal deals. So instead of raising price for our consumer, we really leaned into giving them a great, a great meal at a great price. Uh, we did the, the boneless meal deal, which was 20 boneless wings in four different flavors with large fries and two dip. And I think the price point on that was like $16.99. So you get a lot of food for not a lot of money. And at a time when uh, things were tight and, and prices were rising, I think our consumer really appreciated that. So, you know, I think that's where, again, another key learning from from the whole COVID time period is really listening to your consumer and, and pulling levers that they want to see at, at the appropriate time to make sure that uh, that our business is going to be successful and the consumer is going to continue to have a great experience with us. So now wings are back down to probably an all-time low and you guys are running hard with sandwiches. Yeah, that was, you know, it's funny. That was an exciting launch. Uh, I, I had just come on board in August of 20. And I think, you know, two weeks after I started, we, we launched Chicken Sandwich uh, to just an amazing entry and, uh, and the consumer really, really loved it. So much so that I think we sold a million sandwiches in the first four or five days and ran out of product. So I think we went through what a month worth of stock in, in less than a week. So uh, had to reset and, and, uh, and get our suppliers back up to speed. But uh, it was, it was great because it showed us that the consumer has a strong desire for lots of different flavors on their chicken sandwiches. I mean, we, you know, the chicken sandwiches does such a nice job in this country uh, as a, as a menu option, and uh, with so many concepts out there that has it, we wanted to be very different and lean into what we do best, which is flavor and twelve different flavors of chicken sandwich. And the consumer really, really rewarded us for that. So it's still a very strong menu item for us. It opened up a new day part for us, really helps us with lunch, but then also drives uh, incrementality because we have you know, an option, an opportunity for a consumer to try us who might ordinarily not and really experience the brand and, and our flavor through the chicken sandwich. We got a lot that we've talked about and we're going to come back from a break and we're going to continue the conversation and let's talk some more about the franchise development side of life. We're talking today with Craig Sherwood, Senior Vice President of U.S. Development at Wingstop and we'll be right back. Franchise Today will be right back, but first a word from our sponsors. We are all familiar with Vistage, YPO, and EO. Well, now comes Zor Forum, a somewhat similar type of executive group, but this one comes with a twist. Zor Forum groups are exclusively for franchisors. Imagine a peer group for sharing and networking on a platform built exclusively for franchise executives. Zor Forum members are afforded unparalleled access to best practices and some of the brightest minds within the franchising world through regular meetings and a dedicated communications platform. 
In this post-COVID world, a franchise-specific mastermind or peer group is an endeavor worth making time for. Zorforum groups of 6 to 10 will bring leaders together that are in similar situations, but with exclusivity in terms of their competitive sets, so that each can openly help others benefit from their respective knowledge, perspective, and experience with no fear of competitive loss. Network, learn, strategize, and remain motivated along your journey. Join a peer group, not just any peer group. Join the only one designed for emerging franchisors. Join Zorforum. Learn more at Zorforum.com. That's www.Zorforum.com. And my conversation today continues with Craig Sherwood, Senior Vice President of U.S. Development for Wingstop, one of my favorite concepts on the planet. So, Craig, what does the franchise development roadmap look like? Now, you said you're making some tweaks and some adjustments. What is it you're adjusting to? What's the typical footprint going to look like? And who is it that's going to serve you best as franchisees moving forward? Yeah, well, I, I mean, that that is the most important question any franchisor has to ask themselves is, you know, who do you want as your partner? And I'm impressed with the brand partners that Wingstop has onboarded and, and has is there in their system for a lot, a lot of years. And so we're going to lean heavily into our existing, with our existing brand partners. Uh, they're good stewards of our brand. They take care of, they take care of our, cons- uh, our customers. So we're going to grow with them. Uh, they have the capital to do it. They have the passion to do it. So that is our strong preference is to grow with, uh, with our existing brand partners. But there's also some white space uh, in and around the United States where it makes sense for us to bring on new brand partners who understand that geography better than others. And so we're recruiting. We just, uh, as I said earlier, we just brought on a new brand partner in upstate New York. Uh, we have a new brand partner in Manhattan who's operated there for many, many years. We've got folks that are, are uh, we're having conversations with about Minnesota. So there's, uh, it's an exciting time for us. We want to find brand partners who are going to be good stewards of our brand uh, and take care of serving the world flavor, but also serving our customers and, and our employees and making sure that it's just a great environment to come visit and, and eat in, but also to from an employee perspective that it's a great place to work. I think it's a bold move to go into Western New York with a franchise. There are markets in the country like Buffalo for wings or New York for delis that sometimes to me, it seems like if you can make it work there you can do it anywhere my hat's off to you yeah it's funny you say that because we that was the conversation we had very pointed conversation with the uh the brand partner from that area and we said you know you're going into the birthplace of the wing are you the right guy to do that and we can come alongside you with the product but you're going to have to you're going to have to distinguish yourself as an operator and uh, in a, with with some very discerning folks in uh, in upstate New York, particularly the Buffalo area, and and he's up for the challenge. So we're we're pretty excited. I kind of remember a memory from my early days at Blimpy Subs and Salads when I headed global development for Blimpy, and I brought Blimpy to Paris for the franchise show in France. And our graphic then, our meme was Tony Conza, our founder, dancing with a six foot sub a catering sub and the back of the booth had that display and the French would look at the back of the booth and they would look at me and they would look at the back of the booth and they'd look back at me and say baguette and I'd say (laughs) we a medican we and they would look to their dog and Fifi raise your leg on that (laughs) they were brutal 
They were brutal. Yeah. I mean, there are just certain things you think twice about when you're marching into a territory that is so steeped in its belief that they are the one, they yep. are the only, they are the thing, they are it. Buffalo with wings or beef on weck. I mean, hats off to you for doing what you're doing there. So who's the best model for a franchisee? Are you single unit other than your existing base that you're drawing from to uh, to deal with those that you already know? Who are you bringing in? Are you doing single or multi-unit or area development? How is that going to look? We're, we're doing multi, multi-unit development. So we're looking for for brand partners that obviously have the financial wherewithal, but but are looking to grow out a territory with five plus locations. Most of our brand partners are fairly large. And so we want to be able to go into an area where we have continuity of operations, continuity of the of the brand partner, where they have a territory, they can feel like they can build additional units. And, and if they're going to impact, then they're only going to impact themselves and they're not going to impact other franchisees or, or other brand partners. So we're really, really mindful of carving out the territory in a way that is respectful to an operator. And we have markets where we have mixed, you know, we have uh, Chicago and, and Dallas where we have lots of different brand partners and something we have to be very careful about. We want to respect that what the business that they've built up, we want to make sure that we don't hurt them in any way when we uh, we bring on another restaurant into that area. And so what we find is when we bring on a new brand partner, we want to give them an area where they can really grow and it's and it's all there. So that's who we're bringing on or, or these more, you Know, larger, more sophisticated groups, preferably that have hospitality or certainly restaurants, but you know that can really lean in with their experience and elevate our brand from you know the experience that they bring with them. What about non-traditional? Are you guys pursuing any of that kind of? We are. Yeah, we've we've uh, we've recently had meetings with the Army Air Force Exchange Service with the Naval Exchange. Uh, so we think that is tailor-made for um, you know for our concept uh, to uh, soldiers and 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 sailors perfect perfect combination and then uh, and then colleges we uh, we just opened in the last six months opened our first on uh, on a campus at Temple University and it's doing phenomenally well and so these are these are this is a consumer that loves our product and uh, so we want to we definitely want to go uh, go go heavy with uh, with those uh, with those non-traditional users some things never change I guess in my wing zone days it was college campuses military bases or near manufacturing facilities anyone that had a second or third shift. Yeah, yeah, very true. Well, we're at the place where it's time before I ask you for contact info, it's time for me to ask you, is there anything I didn't ask you today that you wished I did? You know, I, I think we're very thorough. I think maybe maybe what I would add is what's the temperature of our, our brand partners right now in this, I think, this current economic or macroeconomic condition with inflation the way it is, the threat of a recession. And, you know, we just had uh, last week, we had a development summit in Dallas where we brought in some of our largest brand partners to discuss kind of the future of development and what are we doing as a brand partner? How can we be better for them and helping them? And we were uh, fortunate to have the chief economist for Boston Consulting Group was our guest speaker and kind of laid out where things are going, or at least where he believes things are going. It sparked a lot of conversation afterwards about okay, so if that's gravity, how do we how do we take advantage of that? Uh, you know, with every <laughs> with every downturn, there's going to be somebody who's going to benefit from it, and so. You know, I was really pleased with um, you know the conversation and and just how bullish the, uh, the the brand partners feel about our brand and where we can go. And so I think we're in good shape to battle what's ahead. Uh, I think we've got a lot of levers if we need to pull them in terms of value. And so yeah, I think that would be the only other the only other thing I would add. 
And what about labor and today's shortage of help? How's that impacting you? Um, you know, we've, I think like most brands, we had a, a season of it and and fought through it. We're in a better, much better place now. I think what's what's nice about what our concept brings is we're really labor light in the kitchen. So we can operate with a, a limited staff versus maybe some other concepts where you've got more activity going on in the back of the house. So that certainly adds a lot of value to our brand partners in the in the economic model. But you know, we like everybody else, uh, you know, we we need to make sure that we're taking care of people and that the hourly waged employee who's interacting with our customer is probably the most important person in our company. And I know we're coming up to the big game here in, in a couple of weeks, and that is a huge, huge day for us. And, you know, we've got to make sure we're taking care of our employees on that day because it's very, very busy. It's going to be frustrating. Uh, and they're the ones that are going to make it happen for uh, for the customer. So we, uh, we want to make sure we protect them. In all my years in the chicken wing business, in the past couple of years, I've seen two things that I never thought I'd live to see. I've seen wings on a menu at market price, and I've seen robots saucing wings. Who knows what comes next? You never do. Now that is true. Craig, how about some contact info for the audience that may want to reach back out to you? Sure. So it's uh, my my email address is uh, c Sherwood c s h e r w o o d at wingstop.com. Well, I appreciate you taking the time today. I appreciate your patience through my dog's fits and need to join the interview. And I look forward to seeing what you're going to do because Wingstop has been, is, and will remain one of my favorite brands. So I thank you for bringing us up to date today. Hey, thanks so much, Stan. I appreciate the time. You've been hearing from Craig Sherwood, Senior Vice President of U.S. Development at Wingstop. Thanks again, Craig. Thanks so much. Well, there it is. Another fantastic conversation goes into the archives with many, many more ahead, including Squeeze Mas- co-founder and CEO Brittany Driscoll, Franchise Films' Trevor Rapley, Huntington Learning Center's Anne Huntington Sharma, Mighty Auto Parts president Josh D'Agostino, and serial entrepreneur, multi-brand founder, and the author of Disruptable, Alan Young. Quite a lineup all in the weeks ahead, right here on Franchise Today. So until next week, I'm Stan Friedman, wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.